This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave. You know, in the piney woods of North Central Florida, God's country. An undisclosed location, but booming out the truth. Booming out discussions for you and our community to engage in. Now, we are going to have a very important show today. I want you to pay attention, students. I want you to take your notes because you always you can, you can use your notes on my exams. There's no reason why you can't do well. So we are here, of course, in the Melvin Law Studio. Melvin Law is the only official law firm partner, as you know, of the University of Florida fighting Gator. And the Gator has been fighting pretty well lately. Also, we are protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention. Um, it's a wonderful organization. Our sponsors are locally owned, locally built their businesses. Obama did not build the business for them. If you see a sponsor on our show, you're looking at a great hometown people who believe in America. So we're always looking for more sponsors. They help us bring you as much discussion relevant to your voting intelligence and participation in the community as we can pop, possibly help you with. And you know, we have about 300,000 people who check us every week. So we're flattered by that. It's all been word of mouth. It's all been community support. You are a very important part of it. And some of you donate rather now and then to our cause. We appreciate that. We are also going to be seeing very soon now some political sponsors who want to be advertising on this show because they know there's a lot of visibility. So we're moving into an exciting season. And your old war daddy here is going to try to maintain some sort of stamina for it. You know, I've been doing this for 10 years. And uh, every day I get up, you're looking at the basic team. Production you don't see, but we've got a wonderful production guy, good buddy Zach. They've got some research assistants. And all of you are a research assistants because you're in the community. Today we're going to have a very important discussion with Dr. Larry Smith, sometimes referred to as Dr. Larry, and uh, a very important cog in our wheel now, if you may, in that Dr. Larry has sold his practices, moved into the metal land of elder life, and has become involved in something called reserve rural property values. Preserve rural property values is an extremely important uh, organization. You don't hear about it much because it's not the flavor of the month. It's not something that the old Gainesville sunset wanted to print about. It's something the liberal community does not want to have to deal with. But it is there fighting for you 24-7, 365. And it's getting ready to have a fundraiser and build this organization and make it aware its presence to you all, and we're going to help on the Ward's God Files. Now, basically, 
we're going to divide the show into pieces here. I want to introduce Dr. Larry to you and let him tell his story about how he became involved with our organization. And then I want to, he and I, tell you something about the organization. I go back farther with it than he does. Uh, and I still can remember, even though I'm almost over the hill. And then we'll come out and talk about where we're going from here. So, Larry, I'm going to shorten uh, Dr. Larry to Larry. Uh, let's talk about you, sir, because we're honored to have you come on as, I guess your official title is chairman, but uh, um, be it as it may, what have you been learning about the community and preserve property values, rural property values? That important word, rural. Well, I, I uh, got involved with this um, indirectly. Um, I was around when a lot of the legislation was being passed in uh, Alachua County back in the early 2000s. Um, and it was around that time I had started known, my own not-for-profit. Uh, it was called The Institute, which was a nonpartisan little think tank that dealt with community issues, kind of the old axiom, uh, think globally, work locally. And uh, we dealt with issues that were of importance to the citizenry and the electorate. And it was fun. I did that for almost uh, 10 years. Um, it ultimately went the way of many not-for-profits and we donated the rest of our money to some other organization, not-for-profit organization. But in the last five or six years, I've been involved with some of the founders of PRPB, which is Preserving Rural Property Values. And um, in the course of our discussions, uh, they asked me if I'd like to come on board and work with them and maybe be the chairman. And um, after proper discussions, yeah, I agreed to do it. It's turned out to be a great thing. And I've, I've learned a lot more about um, rural property issues, just ranging from simple things as uh, right-of-ways, uh, how complicated they can become sometimes, and sometimes how they're taken advantage of. Um, we uh, are dealing with some issues now with some people that have uh, been a little bit unjustly treated, and uh, we're trying to help them get their situation straightened. At the same time, we deal with larger issues, uh, for example, single-member single districts, which was on the, the ballot uh, last year, we uh, took some time to educate people about what at-large voting, single-member district voting, and what the difference is between the two. Um, we're not a, a uh, lobbying-type body. We don't support candidates, per se, but we do educate the public about the issues around the candidates or the particular legislation that may be uh, on the docket that's being voted on and trying to get people to make a real informed decision on whether it's good or bad for them. Um, you know, as a rule, the rural communities tend to be slightly less populous than the urban areas and the urban areas sometimes pass legislation that can have pretty negative impacts on the rural property owner and with agriculture being as big a share of the GDP of the state of Florida as it is, it's kind of important that we keep an eye on that and ensure that agricultural is supported and that just home ownership, somebody that might own five acres and has a little bit of hay that they cut uh, to help pay the property taxes and keep it an agricultural exemption. Some of that's important too. For the big producers, it's important for the small individual person 
it's important. So uh, that's kind of how I got involved and what I've learned about it. Um, certainly the history of it is well etched in your mind, and maybe that's something you could espouse on a little bit to give people a perspective. Well, I first heard of preserve rural property values um, quite, uh, you know, almost stumbled over it. Um, in the beginning 2000s, uh, I was working pretty thoroughly on state issues uh, that had to do with protecting the community college system and also um, establishing a board of governors for the board of regents, replacing the board of regents. And so I was, um, I had a lot of political meetings. Uh, uh, I knew everyone from Senator Graham to, to uh, you know, local college presidents to Senate presidents to uh, community activists of all kinds. And uh, I went to a meeting at the county commission one night. And uh, my golly, I looked out there, Larry, and everybody out there looked like he had his horse tied up outside. I mean, probably did. <laughs> uh, one, one good old boy who I came to be really good friends with uh, had his cowboy hat on. And, uh, and he didn't look like he was having a very good time. And uh, I had come along there and just sort of watching. And uh, before the night was over, I learned that they were looking as an organization for more influence on the county commission. Because, as you know already, I'm sure you know, um, the county commission has been predominantly urban, uh, uh, ideologically, intellectually oriented, um, and very insensitive, as human beings can be, to uh, issues that aren't in their particular backyard themselves, meaning well, but not understanding. And that's the way it had been here. And they were about to, I came to find out, pass a very, very stringent one candidate who was running for office back then called it the toilet bowl ring. And boy, you know, the liberal press got all over that. Calling our community a toilet bowl. You know, what she was referring to and she was running as a Republican, on, uh, was that the to- so-called toilet bowl ring was a very tight circle around where the county commission wanted sprawl to stop. And the way they were going to stop it is simply do some of the things that you referred to, use all the mechanisms of the comprehensive plan to make it happen down to how far setbacks are, down to what is on a lot, down to whether there's a road, you know, support for it, uh, down to making the builders pay for all the highways and all this stuff that really the county would not put a nickel up for and take that money and put it into wild spaces or something, which was antithetical. Wild spaces didn't really mean wild agricultural spaces. It meant wild conservation spaces. A big difference. And so I got to listening to it and someone introduced me to them. And here's my first mistake, Larry. Uh, They said, uh, we need you to run for the county commission. Well, dumb me. I thought, well, I've been involved with the state organizations on state issues. I guess everybody will know me. Well, the first thing I learned is nobody knew me. 
And secondly, those who did didn't like me because the Gainesville Sunset immediately uh, associated me with builders. And every time they would write about me or talk about me, they would talk about me being backed by builders. Well, that wasn't the case, you know. It was much more complicated than that. But no, they didn't write it that way. And then I learned that the Democrat Party, which I was there, I was a Democrat then, used to leave the room when I would come in. But they didn't before when I was helping out the university be protected with Senator Graham and everybody. But when I started running locally against their fair-haired boy, Barley, who was going to be my opponent, they left the room. And uh, I was persona non grata. That was shocking to me that they wouldn't back the, quote, good opponent. Uh, and all of a sudden, I was not a good opponent. Learned a lot about politics from that. Awful lot about politics from that. But I was already declared as a candidate. Well, we didn't win that. Barley came back and won that. The primary system is a closed system when a write-in gets in it. Uh, the Republicans had stayed out of it. They had not wanted to put anybody secretly up against me or anything like that. They were going to stay out of the primary. Uh, and if it was just, uh, uh, you know, come in afterwards and participate when all that was settled. But it didn't work out that way. So then I had become familiar with preserved rural property values. Those farmers and ranchers, Larry, had raised out of their own pocket about $300,000. Now, don't hold me to the exact figure. You probably know that. Was that pretty close? Yeah, at, at the time, yeah. Sure was. Yeah, at, the time, at, at the time. And they had raised about, to fight the political battles necessary. They had been successful with two candidates. Believe it or not, they had put Lee Pinkerson and Cynthia Chestnut on the county commission. They did that. They backed those candidates. And Lee and Cynthia did a pretty good job of protecting rural property values, but still, there were only two of them. And they ran the risk of being ostracized by their party. Lee was a magnificent tightrope walker. He could walk it and get by with it. He knew so many people from living here for so long. And he pulled it off. He's probably the only guy who could pull it off. Now, then, the first thing we got involved with that I was aware of was what you just alluded to, single-member districts. As I remember, I'm running out of fingers and toes now, that has been a 30-year battle just yes. for my involvement. Am I right? Yeah, it was a, it's been a long long battle of education and advertising and letting people understand and op-eds what really the difference is. There was even some good studies come out of the University of Florida on single-member districts. Well, the way it's rigged, the way it's rigged is um, the commission could put the commi- uh, issue on a ballot by themselves. In fact, they're threatening to do that this next election. I'm going to ask you about that. Uh, and it doesn't cost any money at all. But they make the people go raise the money, go hire the attorneys, go to all the expense, and then work against it. Why do they work against it? That's the issue we can talk about. 
They worked against him because they can't disassociate it in their minds with sprawl. Now, what happened is the toilet bowl ring got broken up. The preserved real property values was successful at stopping that sort of thinking. And so the place where you see the results of that now more than anywhere else is the Parker Road area and all that moving towards Newbury. Yes, None of that would have been there, Larry. None of it would have been there had the so-called toilet bowl ring been successful. Had they strangled growth beyond those Parker Roads and those places, they would have shoved it all into the urban core and do what you see them doing in Gainesville, gone up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, meanwhile, a guy who is 70 years old, I'm just going to give you a fictitious example, of course, based on a real person, as you know, who has farmed, cattle farmed, a piece of land he grew up on, that his daddy grew up on, that his daddy's daddy grew up on, and that this man has no children, has no one to leave it to. And if he, even if he did, they wouldn't want to work it because we've reached a stop where these kids, unless they're special, want to be involved with rule either. I mean, let's, let's face it. So he would have been sitting on land that you couldn't do anything with. Been been pretty would, have would, have would have been worthless, potentially. Well, what it would Not have done. Totally, but. Then a logical conservation would have come along mm-hmm. and scooped it up for a nickel on the, on the dollar. And the problem with logical conservation, I learned, they buy the land, but they don't maintain the land. That's the issue. When you come out here to Windy Hill Farm, people look at it and say, wow, this place is well kept. You know, your pastures are, are raked. Uh, your uh, um, fence lines are clean. Uh, everything's fenced. Hey, that didn't happen by accident. And for me to get hay, it's harder and harder. Because where are you going to grow it? You see? And the people who grow it, and have the machinery, the $250,000, $300,000 pieces of equipment, and five or six of them on the property to do it, you're running out of them. I mean, they're, they're, they're dying off. So once that farmland is gone, we ain't getting it back. And the thing to have to realize is that the people who set the country up couldn't believe it. Here you had the best farmland in the world. You had two bodies of water on either side of the continent with prevailing trade winds blowing back and forth. You had river tributary system down the center draining the continent called the Mississippi River from the lakes to the Gulf. Gulf. Wow! 
let's be an agrarian society. And let's be a constitutional republic. And let's be as independent from government as we can be. We don't want the federal government. We'll run our land. Well, of course, we know it got complicated because before they knew it, they had a slavery issue, which complicated things beyond and is continuously, ever since then, screwing things up. We can't get a clean start because race baiters keep bringing that up. So here we are. The North won this civil war, which the South called the war against Yankee aggression, because the North came to the South the same way Russia came to Crimea. Crimea did not go to Russia. Russia came to Crimea and said, you're us. And they said, we don't want to be you. Well, you're going to be us come hell or high water. The North came to the South. The South did not go until Gettysburg. Very big mistake. Also, they made a big mistake when they let Lincoln trap them and they fired back on Fort Sumter. They got the blame thereafter for starting the war. When they entered the Union, the agreement was you could enter and you could withdraw. Contractual, but when you go back and look at the Yankee in Indian language means Indian snake. In Indian language, uh, yeah, it means snake, poisonous snake. Yeah, that's what Yankee means in Indian language. Because every treaty, the United so-called states, which began to be us, signed with Native Americans, was violated. Everyone was broken. Everyone. So the, the Native Americans never integrated. And to make a deal, we had to put them on their own land. And they are separate nations now. They are not part of the United States of America. And it backfired when they sent the Cherokee out to Oklahoma, where it was going to be worthless land, and it turned out to be petroleum. Mm-hmm. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. How do we get that back? You don't get that back. If you go over to the University of Florida Law School, as I did, because I had investments in oil drilling, and I was betrayed by the oil company, and I wanted to look up the law, all the case law that I found was arguments between Native Americans and oil companies. The oil companies went out there and ripped them off. So this is so complicated that the rural people up in the Midwest and Illinois and all that, they can raise enough food to feed the world out to Iowa, Nebraska, all of what we combine with the big wheat. They could raise enough food to feed the world if they could get it there. Big silos out there. I was raised on these farms. I was actually lucky to be raised in both the North and the South. So I saw both societies. I, I, I saw how they worked. But I have tried to 
replicate those days in a little way here. I'm summing this up now. That's how I got involved with preserved real property values. And um, all I wanted to do was give people a chance to think about the big mistake they're going to make if they pave over their agricultural land. Well, in this part of the educational component with PRPV, is it making people understand the value of, did you of their properties? Did you, follow back? That? did you follow that? Yeah, I followed that. Yeah, I was, I was with you there. Uh, and it's, it's just getting back to the local again, thinking globally, acting locally, you know, getting people to appreciate their properties, which they have through the decades. Because uh, there's a lot of people that can't afford to live within the urban environment, and they live further out where the taxes are cheaper, the Property's a little cheaper to buy, but over that time, as, as urban neighborhoods extend into rural neighborhoods, they do appreciate their property and value, and that's their retirement for a lot of people, is to sell that five acres with a house on it so that they can downsize and, and live their life more comfortably and not be on a necessarily a fixed income from Social Security. So, you know, rural property values involve more than agriculture, certainly encompasses a large part of the agricultural community, but also just the the people who may be working in the urban area but live in the uh, rural area. Right. It's maintaining that parity between the two, which kind of gets back to the single-member district issue, which was, you know, an important educational project for us to get people to realize that it's a single-member district voting system, which we have now because of Keith Perry and uh, Representative um, um, Clemens, who allowed through state legislature to put that on the ballot uh, several months ago in our last election cycle, uh, it passed by about 52%. 52% of the people in the community, Alachua County, agree that single-member district voting is better than at-large voting, which falls more in line with the Constitution of Representative Government where I, from my district that I live in, have one representative that we vote for that represents us, as opposed to voting for five different people in every district who may not represent because I don't have the controlling votes to elect that person in each district. So one person, one vote, one district uh, tends to make sense, same way with presidential elections and every other election. And it was something that they passed in Gainesville, Many years ago, single-member district voting, which initially was at-large voting, but after they went to single-member district voting, you get a better representation of the community on the city council. It'll be the same way in the Alachua County uh, Commission, we hope now, and that it'll be more representative of the people in the communities that are voting for it. And that, I think, will bring parity and understanding. And at least you have someone who can speak on behalf of the interests of that community at, at that level. So it's going to be a positive thing. And, uh, you know, I, I hope uh, uh, Commissioner Chestnut, who spoke at the um, uh, chamber meeting some months ago, uh, was asked about single-member districts. And he said it's a settled issue. Uh, the people in Latcher County have spoken, and uh, it's not anything that uh, the commission's going to try to challenge at this time now. I'm hoping he speaks for the commission, and that's that is true. I mean, certainly, he's our representative from our district, so uh, I think he speaks for us. 
At least that's the impression that we get from the voting pattern. So, uh, yeah, let's let's hope that uh, single member districts are given a chance and that it proves to be what it should be, a representative government of the people and, and works well for all the people. You can't win all of the battles, but you can win some of them. Let me that's tell important. you a little, uh, I don't think I've ever publicly said this before. Um, drum roll, please, production. Um, I ran against Barley in a Democrat primary. Chuck Chestnut, Charles Chestnut, Cynthia Chestnut made radio announcements on my behalf. They were absolutely, totally in my corner. And you know why? No. A lot of black folk are rural people. Mm-hmm. Where I live right now, Larry, I share an easement, which I give. I give it to black folk who live on 40 acres behind me. Well, this isn't a race issue. This is this is a property ownership issue. This is this is across the spectrum. Everybody that lives out here, you know. Well, well, let me, as you know, listen. In the rural society, you need each other. Mm-hmm. It's the urban society where the crime is. It's uh, the urban society where people put up alarms and things. As an old boy said to me when I first moved out here, I uh, didn't have a box blade. And he had one. And I learned that he would loan things to you if you brought them back. Mm-hmm. If you didn't bring them back and he had to go fetch them, you never could get another thing from him. So I went to him and I said, Robert, he's passed now. Great guy. I said, I want to work out a deal where I can use your box plate. I apologize for having to do it. You know what he said to me? Ward, you ain't never got what all you need. Absolutely the truth. You can't have everything you need. So you borrow from me. I borrow from you. We are really a cooperative. I met at the fence line not too long ago with my black neighbors. Older men. Probably... 60, and they'd been in the service, came back, went back to the land, lamenting that they had lost control over their youth. They don't, they can't, they can't, they can't get them to listen to them. Don't you see, son, what you got here if you, now you got to work, you know? No, they won't do that. So that's another thing I think the rural land does. The rural land establishes the heart values of the country. And you get up on a cold morning and you go to the barn or you don't have any milk. That's one yeah, of my greatest memories. Yeah. One of my greatest memories, Larry. And uh, that's just the way it was. You know? So 
Well, that's one of the great values of this country, though, is that, uh, you know, prior to America's first civil war, which was with Britain. Um, yeah. We, uh, you couldn't really own property. No. Nope. You were deeded maybe some property, but it came at the king's behest. And if you lived mm-hmm. in Europe, uh, I'm not sure private property was there unless you had a letter of marquee that it was granted to you from the king. Mm-hmm. Because most of what you did ended up in his coffers as it was, which is something that we tried to establish different here. You know, private property ownership is one of the foundations of America. And that, you know, you're protected by that through your constitutional amendments and, and the rights and privileges that are afforded you by the constitution. And, and those are the kind of things that we try to get people to see and understand is that, uh, you know, land ownership is privilege or responsibility. It's an important responsibility. Um, but it's, it's one of the foundations of our, our country. So, you know, it's, uh, it's been an interesting journey for me getting more and more into the issues uh, as we, as we move along. And again, this kind of brings us to the fundraiser that, you know, that we're wanting. Yeah, let me preface that a little bit, Larry. Been talking with Dr. Larry, which is Larry Smith, uh, who is now uh, hung up his medical spurs and has gone out into the uh, rural countryside and is helping us with some organizational things that we need to do to uh, protect this in a more formal way, these kind of discussions we're having. And uh, we have the phone line open. Uh, you may join in. Uh, production will pick that phone up and and talk to you. And we got the number up uh, there for you to see if you want to participate or ask a question. Or I'm looking at the chat line, and uh, you can. Uh, uh, I'm looking at a couple of things you're saying now. We're going to skip our normal time for our weather, which was at 9:30. We're going to go up to a 9.45, maybe I can twist Larry's arm for a couple extra minutes, then he has to go, and then we'll come in and do the weather. Uh, Larry, let's talk about what your needs are now, fundraiser and all that, because I don't have a clue this is now out of my uh, relationship. I could only bring you up through the first 30 years. I can't from <laughs> you. Yeah. Well, I think uh, where we're at now is it, it's like any not-for-profit. As you go through the year, you have expenditures, and you need to replace those as much as possible. And, uh, you know, we tend to appeal to the people that have a vested interest in what it is that you're doing. And, uh, you know, as it turns out, there's a lot of people in Alachua County and Gilchrist County and Levy County. These aren't county-specific events. You know, these we deal with state issues as well as the local community issues. Um, and so we try to make sure that what we focus on is good for all counties and all farm people and rural property owners. And so we're, you know, coming into an election cycle and there's going to be a lot of educational needs and we'll have to produce a lot of educational vignettes and things to let people understand what's going on. And so our fundraiser is, uh, February 22nd at the Gateway Grand Best Western in Gainesville, Florida. It's from 6 to 9 p.m. Uh, there's a little cocktail hour and hors d'oeuvres. We'd love for you to come. If you do decide you want to come, uh, we'd like for you to RSVP so we have a little bit of a head count. And uh, the easiest thing to remember is PRP 
values. Yeah. Proton.me. Um, and that way we'll just know you're coming. And if you're going to bring somebody, there's no charge. Uh, there will be some auctions. We have some, uh, uh, if you live out in the country, item auctions, it would make sense to you for living out in the country. Um, and uh, I think that'll be fun. But there also is going to be an educational venue as well that will take some time to bring everyone up to speed on the history of PRPV and some of the founders. Uh, there's some interviews in that program. I think that you're one of the uh, emeritus members of the organization and you have been interviewed and will be part of that, uh, that little educational video. So we, we hope people can come. We hope people appreciate for what it is. If you can't come, um, you know, we're certainly always happy to take a donation, uh, which we can provide you some more information on that uh, a little bit later. But we're kind of coming into the, I guess this is our coming out party because it has been a very quiet organization that's done a lot of things in the background. Um, but I think we're, we're willing to step out now and uh, open up a Facebook page and a website and a little Instagram and uh, get the social networking going and uh, make ourselves more available to people and let more people know about who we are. Well, I think that's where you're going to be a big asset. Uh, you understand how those things work and you're, an organizer, and uh, anytime you need uh, help from the show, uh, consult me because I'll run the uh, notification again, make sure people know about it. We don't have a newspaper that you can do anything with. Uh, I'll advise you, use our good uh, buddy Jennifer Cabrera at Alachua Chronicle. Uh, We do a lot of things together, and uh, I think she's doing a great job. So, we try to keep it going. Uh, I'm looking at, uh, we got our phone line open, 352-707-9701. Um, we uh, are talking with Larry Smith, who is the chair of Preserve Rural Property Values. And this is really the first time it's sort of been cranked up socially for quite a while. Its biggest accomplishment has been getting single-member districts passed. Now, we're going to have... Now, I would like to interject. We did not do that just by ourselves. That was a large effort oh, yeah. by a lot of people uh, from Senator Perry and, and Chuck Clemens. Absolutely. It was a big community Absolutely. effort. We played a part of that. Absolutely. There's no question about it. But the frustration and failed attempts before by this organization... We're convincing the people who back that legislation yet again, because what is wrong was our argument was giving the people a voice. If they don't want it, they can vote it down. But the county was not even willing, Larry, to give the people an opportunity to say no. That's where the rub was. Yeah, and that's where I found them. Several members, I found that argument to be very disingenuous because they were big advocates for single-member districts earlier on to suddenly become non-advocates because it wasn't necessarily to their power base. I found that very disingenuous. I mean, well, yes, of course, you could see through that thing. It was like uh, <laughs> eating up the gauze, you know. But they would take this. That was so, was so unreasonable. We didn't know how it was going to turn out. I mean, come on, if you don't want it, you don't want it. But at least we need to know. Um, 
give people a chance. So I think that's why it was the big one. They stuck a fork in themselves. And uh, finally, we found courageous legislators who would get involved. Well, and the good news was, too, to get 52% of the vote in Alachua County, Republicans represent a third at best, and independents, a smaller group, and the Democrats, of course, like the majority, if not the majority, 50-something, which means a lot of people from the other side, so to speak, from the Democrats and the independents, voted in addition to the more conservative uh, Republican side. So that was a pretty representative vote of the county. And I think that uh, yeah, it's it's meaningful, and it, it does give and speak well for the future of districts' individual inputs. So it'll be good. It'll well, be good. one of the one of the candidates, one of the <coughs> one of the candidates that will be running this time is an incumbent, a Democrat. There's no guarantee that single member districts is going to uh, not select her. I mean. No, they may elect to vote. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if she's a good candidate and she speaks yeah. well, she represents her people, and yeah. uh, why wouldn't they vote, Lecter? Right. I mean, it's not a necessarily but, uh, a left or a right thing. And the irony you alluded to a moment ago was that the Rodney Longs of the world, the Chestnuts of the world, would not have a political life if it had not been for single-member districts in the city of Gainesville. And the irony of a single-member district is one of the districts is primarily going to assure that you'll always have a minority representative on the county commission. Mm-hmm. I mean, it almost... And that's important. It's that's an important up. consideration. Yeah. yeah, it's not that you won't. It's not that you won't maybe have a different one. Um, a couple of people come to mind who are, are, have tried before to run, who would have done well, we know, if the pie had just been in that district. But because the white folk come across town for lockstep with the uh, party ban, they voted him down, and they don't live there. Mm -hmm. See? They don't live there. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how that turns out. But um, uh, Chuck is not on there this time. We only have uh, two on there this time, uh, as I recall. We're going to be using single-member districts uh, and voting in them. Um, one will be Pazia, and uh, I think the other is Alfred. I'm not sure. But we'll cover that when we get closer to it. Talking with Dr. Larry Smith. And, Larry, we appreciate you getting involved Um we're almost close to your 945 traumatic exit from the stage. I want to compliment you on your presentation decor well, based on what it was like yesterday. <laughs> 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 and I, well, had, I had a little hat here, but you say it covers my face, but uh, it's a great hat. And, uh, and it's apropos. It's apropos, but uh I want to toss it on there at least. Uh, oh, is Chestnut up? Tim Martin says that Chestnut is actually up this cycle. So it's... Uh, and I think he's in my district, so... Alpha Brazil and Chestnut. Huh. Thank you, Tim Martin. You ought to call in, Tim, and correct us on that uh, and let us know what's going on. 
but I don't think you got the time to hang with us. But uh, I'd like to get Tim to comment on that. Got anything else you want to add, my man? Um, no, just February 22nd, Gateway Grand Best Western in Gainesville, Florida, 6 to 9. Come by, have a good evening, talk with friends, have a cocktail, have a Coke, snacks, learn a little bit, bid on the items, and uh, leave a little donation. And uh, you know, learn a little bit more about us, and we'll learn a little bit more about you and see what's important to the people in this community and in the rural area. And if you happen to live in the city, you're welcome to come too, because oh yeah, our issues are your issues. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on. We'll be uh, keeping in touch with you, and we'll be letting the people know about this event. Uh, Larry's got to scoot along now. Got another meeting. Uh, we uh, thank you, Larry. Thank uh, you, Ward, for uh, taking time to uh, to uh, share with us. Good. Uh, we're going to stay on the show here. And we're going right. to take the break we normally would take at the bottom of the hour. We're going to take it now and come back with the weather. You're right back on uh, the Ward Scott Files. Stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help!
All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files with Ward's Weather, brought to you by Lewis Oil, Chevron Fossil Fuel Gas Stations, and oil and all the above. I got 45 degrees on my computer here. That seems a little chilly to me, going up to almost 70. That's the weather we got right here outside the Manly uh, Warthog um, Man Cave. Um, we're also going to show you before we take our call, so we're just going to have to ask our caller to hang on for a minute. Today is Groundhog Day. I believe it's today or yesterday. That was today. And it's funny. It's funny. We're going to run this Groundhog video for you. And when we run the Groundhog video, we come out of that, we will have completed the weather, and we'll have a chat with our caller. So hang on. Hear ye, hear ye. Now on this February 2nd, Punxsutawney Phil, the seer of seers, prognosticator of all prognosticators, was awakened from his wintry nap at dawn on Gobbler's Knob. Phil looked to the skies and then, speaking in groundhog ease, directed the president to the proper scroll, which reads, Another winter's slumbered pause so I could meet the crowd. Hard to sleep anyway when the party's this loud. I envy your energy. I envy the fun. I envy all of you and your opposable thumbs. But it's not what I feel, it's what I see and what you hear. So gather round and let me be clear. Atmosphere is a wonderful thing. And we can create our own and the weather it brings. It brings hope for the future and so much more. Maybe some Punxsutawney Phil write-in votes in 2024. But what this weather did not provide is a shadow or reason to hide glad tidings on this groundhog day an early spring is on the way Hi, everyone. George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the ABC News YouTube channel. Well, we hope that was a lot of fun for you. Uh, that's Groundhog Day. He did not see his shadow. So it's going to be an early spring. We've got Tim Martin on the phone. Tim, help us out a little bit with this election coming up. Good morning. Good morning. How are you all? Doing well. Straighten us out. On well, the I was just calling in. I <laughs> Sure, sure. I, I thought you had... Uh had a question for me, but uh, yes, well, regarding the single member districts, it is going to be the first uh, cycle to apply the single member districts, and currently the three seats that are up is Mary Alford, number one, and Aprizia, number three, and uh, Chuck Chestnut, uh, district five. So all three of those are going to be on the ballot in uh, well, in, in the Republican case, we'll actually have a primary in August between Jen Garrett and Brandon Kuttner, and the winner of that will move on to the general. Uh, as of right now, uh, none of the Democrats have a challenger, so they will theoretically go directly to the general election in November, not that 
they've all filed themselves is more just anticipating that they all file again. Any Republican opponent for them? Uh, no, not at this time uh, that we're able to disclose. Uh, certainly, if anybody is interested in running uh, for any of those seats, I'd encourage them to give me a ring at 352-474-1022, or they can get in touch with me on the Internet. What would be the drop-dead date to file? Uh, good question. I actually don't know the answer to that, but I, I feel like it's sometime in June. Okay. <clears throat> and, and uh, you know, even if people are interested in filing, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely time involved. What I have tried to build, and maybe some viewers aren't aware, I'm actually the Republican Party chairman here in Alachua County. Uh, and what we have tried to build is really a resource library uh, for candidates, uh, particularly in the smaller races ward. As you know, it's very difficult to raise the kind of money that you need for a quote-unquote campaign manager. Uh, so we're trying to build out sort of an ability to do it on your own to some extent. Uh, it certainly helps to have some dedicated volunteers uh, for your cause to be able to run. Uh, but um, we hope to, to be able to be somebody that candidates can turn to if they need data, they need publishing, if they need phone banking, door knocking, uh, sign design, all sorts of those things uh, that you know, the smaller campaigns, just like all the big campaigns, they still need, uh, but at a much low, uh, excuse me, a much lower cost. Well, you bring up a good point. Single member districts to run for that has reduced the cost of doing the running, right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, by probably, <laughs> probably 50, 60 uh, percent. Really? Uh, and just so the, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, easily. You know, the a countywide race, uh, I, you know, you were looking at probably close to anywhere from probably sixty, eighty thousand dollars, uh, if not even a hundred, hundred thousand dollars, because you had to cover the whole county. And what single member districts did was allowed, particularly campaigns in our conversation here, to focus on a certain subset of the county. So the county has five districts, and uh, the, the people that are only in those districts will now be voting for the people who are representing them. Uh, just think of it like, like states. You know, only the people in Florida get to vote on the Florida representation to Washington, D.C. Well, come fall, only the people in districts 1, 3, and 5 within the county will be voting for their representative to the actual county board. Um, now, the, no, the way the numbers bear out, it won't necessarily mean an automatic Republican or an automatic Democrat gets elected uh, anymore, uh, but certainly uh, it gives the Republicans a little bit better shot at it. Like you said, you can concentrate your effort, concentrate your money, uh, which you know helps tip the scales a little bit in our favor. Uh, but what really probably needs to be done even further down the road is the district lines actually need to be redrawn. Uh, the way it is right now, even with the single member districts, the con a significant concentration of votes is still within the city limits of Gainesville, believe it or not, as small as those pieces of the pie wow. come together there in the center of the county. Uh, so you still have some of the dynamics just on a smaller scale. Uh, but 
again, this is uncharted territory. Nobody really knows how things are going to, um, you know, pan out, so to speak. But if uh, if people in the audience are concerned about, uh, you know, transparency and election integrity and things like that, uh, you know, maybe some of these districts are areas where uh, the poll captains are a little bit more uh, diligent about following the rules, let's say. And, you know, if, if, uh, if the, how should we say, if the polls in other areas of the county were a little bit looser and they were really stuffing the ballots over there from whatever method, and I'm not necessarily alleging that, uh, you can certainly see where that uh, behavior is a little bit more isolated and may not have an impact on some of these other areas of the county, if that makes sense. Let me ask you this while uh, you pique my uh, memory here. Do you think that the new rule about candidates having to disclose more of their, I don't see how it changes anything. I would have done the same thing. I always did. Is keeping people from wanting to run for public office? We've seen municipal councils and all where they just quit. Uh, Yes, we have seen some people quit. I think a misconception of the form, and we're talking about what's called Form 6. If the misconception of Form 6 is perpetuated, then yes, I think it does have more of an impact. Now, the county-level folks, if I'm under, if I know correctly, always had to file the Form 6 anyway. Uh, the fact that it now is applying to city commissions, you know, at my level over in Newberry, for instance, uh, that's where it's caused a little consternation among the elected officials. But uh, what I have been able to determine when I called up to the state division um, office, uh, I spoke to a woman named Kimberly up there, and she said, point blank, you do not have to itemize your personal assets, period. Um, that was the big uh, misnomer that sort of got traction that – it was going to be a way of inventorying people's property, which targeted them for uh, for theft, for uh, manipulation, you. targeted them for all this other uh, other stuff. You you do not actually have to do that. Now, you have to disclose the value of your assets, but she she told me you can do that on a single line that says household property and personal assets, right. and fill in the do- fill in the dollar amount. Um, the only thing that it it does do is it does require the city official to disclose if more than 10% of their income, if they own a business, comes from any one particular person or business. Uh, That was an attempt to try to increase transparency. So let's say I had a lumber business and I I sold 20% of my gross income, went to ABC House Builder. I had to disclose the House Builder. And, you know, with contracts and litigious society that we have here now, uh, some companies are a little bit more comfortable with that, as well as the individuals that are elected are a little bit more comfortable with that. That was actually kind of the trouble that we ran into with one of the city commissioners in High Springs. Uh, ironically, our city commissioner, uh, or I'm sorry, our city attorney for Newberry actually came to us and said, well, um, you know, it was interesting because it was brought up, well, why don't the attorneys in the room that are elected officials have to disclose their clientele? 
that represent more than 10% of their building, uh, business. And the attorneys were citing uh, attorney-client privilege on that one, Ward. Uh, and now, since it's actually been brought up, there has been talk of whether the legislature is going to go back into that rule for Form 6 and have a little carve-out for the attorneys in the room ah. who are also elected officials so they, so they don't have to abide by their own rules. Uh, I always think that's that's pretty pretty uh, uh, well, Tim, on interesting, that point, we'll have, shall we say. <laughs> Tim, uh, Tim, on that point, we'll have to close. We're at 10 o'clock. Appreciate you calling in. Let's extend this at some point. A lot of information needs to be kind of put in the consumer's ear again, I think. So uh, we'll work on My that. My pleasure. Thank you for calling in. Thank you for our uh, participating in our show today as a listener or a viewer. And I hope you have a great weekend. Uh, just had a little bit of this uh, Caliber Coffee. Port on Command Center out.